Repeat after me. Say, this is God's word. No, say it with authority. This is God's word. Not Pastor Evans' word. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can be who it says I can be. And I will have what it says I can have. Today, I will hear the word of God. I boldly declare that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are open. And I better not go to sleep. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, thank you today for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for Jesus Christ who has made it possible for us to stand before you guiltless. Thank you for his blood that not only washes away our sin, but it forgives us for every sin we have ever committed or will commit because he was a sacrificial lamb for eternity. So I pray today that this word that you have given me will minister grace to the hearers. And I pray, Lord, that it will remind us, encourage us, and convict us so that, Lord, we can maximize the rest of this year. And I thank you for signs, miracles, and wonders following the word today in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody say amen. Amen, amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Well, the message title, I'm going to jump right into it this morning, is Testing for Blessing. Everybody say, Testing for Blessing. For some reason, and I've been feeling like this for the last month or so, I feel like we are in a short season of testing. In the natural, you know, tests are designed to do three things, evaluate, validate, and verify a person's knowledge regarding information that they have either learned or experienced. And so uh, I believe spiritual tests are designed to help us see where our faith and our trust is. And then if we pass the spiritual test, it will lead us down the path to blessings and to new levels. And I'm going to show you that this morning. So today I want to talk to you about being tested. Look at your neighbor and say, you are being tested. Yes. And so one thing about testing that I've discovered, ask me what I've discovered. I've discovered that our actions during a test reveal what we really believe, not just what we say believe, what we believe. It reveals not just what we uh, believe, but it also will reveal what we think we believe or what we think we desire. A test is designed to help us see what we really believe. And I believe God tests us so that our hearts don't become deceived. Because deception, listen, deception is when you and I believe something that's not true. And so without a test, everybody say without a test. Without a test, our hearts can be believing something that's not true. 
And so when a test comes, it presents and helps us reveal to us what we really believe. So what I'm going to do is we're going to look at a couple of people in Scripture who God tested so that we can learn about the test that they took and see how they passed them so that the blessings can come from our testing. Because believe it or not, you and I are going to be tested in life. We're going to be tested by God. Amen. So I have three points today, and if you need the notes for the message, just raise your hand, and our ushers will give you a copy of the notes. But uh, here's point number one, if you're taking notes, and that is, God knows before the test results show. God knows before the test results show. Here's the problem. Most of us don't know. And this is why, potentially, we're going to flunk. Because anytime God tests us, he's not testing us for us to fail. He's testing us so that we can pass. And here is why. Because if you don't pass, you will have to take the test again. Ask Jonah. The New Living Translation of John chapter 6, they're going to put it on the screen. I'm going to read it. Uh, it's, It's quite a bit of reading, but it's going to help us understand the first point, which is God knows before the test result shows. It says, after this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went. Because they saw his miracles, signs, as he healed the sick. Verse 3. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. Verse 4. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. He turned to Philip and he asked him, where can we buy bread to feed all of these people? Verse 6. He was doing what to Philip, church? What was he doing? He was testing Philip. Watch this. For he already knew what he was going to do. Everybody say, God knows before the test results shows. Verse 7 says, Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy with five barley loaves of, uh, five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Verse 10. Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. And so they all sat down the grassy slopes. The men alone were numbered how many people? 5,000 people. And then Jesus took the loaves. He gave thanks to God. I want you to notice that. He distributed it to the people or the disciples, the King James says. And afterwards, he did the same with the fish. They all ate as much as they wanted. Verse 12 says, after everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so nothing is wasted. That's amazing to me. Because even when we took communion in the Presbyterian church, we didn't have the little wafer that we have. We used real bread. 
It was this loaf that this little young man had. It was, it was real bread and they would break them in half and then they would put them on these plates and, and so you would go. And so, you know, the, 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 the communion would come by and you were really just because, you know, uh, being cordial, you really only took a little pinch. Not me. I was hungry. And I wasn't saved. So I decided I'm going to take as big as a piece as I could get. Well, even with the big piece from communion, it didn't make me full. So think about this. Five loaves of bread cost 5,000 people plus women and children to eat until they were full. And then Jesus took up 12 baskets of scraps. And, and I'm going to be teaching the first part of the year on stewardship. But one thing I want you to see is Jesus made sure that what was left over wasn't wasted. Verse 14. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they explained or exclaimed, Surely he is a prophet we've been expecting. Jesus already knew what he would do. Watch this before he tested Philip. So here is the comforting side of every test that God gives us. He already has the answer to any test we may face. Amen. Everybody say, God knows before the test results show. So here's the question. Here's the question. What is the purpose of a test? Well, I'm glad you asked me. This is point number two. The purpose of the test. Before every test starts, it always It's always about the heart. I'm going to say that again. Before every test starts, it's always about the heart. Everybody say, before every test starts, it's always about the heart. In the uh, NIV version of Deuteronomy chapter 8, I'm going to show you that anytime God tests us, the whole point of the test is for us to see the condition that our heart is in. And see, the bad part about you, touch your neighbor and say, he talking to you. The bad part about you is that you will lie to you. Deuteronomy chapter 8, he says, be careful to follow every command that I'm giving you today. So that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Watch verse 2. He says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years. He did that to humble you. And to what? Test you. So, watch this, in order to know what is what? In your heart. And then here's the whole point, whether or not you would keep his commandments. So one of the things that happened as God was leading the children of Israel through the desert, through the wilderness, he did it to humble them, but he also did it to test them so that they could see what's in their heart. In verse 3 it says, and he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manner, which neither you nor your forefathers uh, had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out. Your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your what? 
heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord God disciplines you. Verse 6, observe the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways and reverence him. So every test is designed to see who you reverence and who you and I rely on the most. That's really what the test is all about. Amen. Have you ever experienced what I'm going to call the test of silence? See, this. See, at some point in your Christian life, as you walk with God, you're going to experience God's silence. This is when God is not saying nothing. Now, nothing's wrong with God. He's not mad and he's not upset. And what happens a lot of times if you experience the silence of God, what people do is self-reflection, which is not bad. But what happens is they examine themselves for sin or examine themselves to see what's wrong. And they're trying to figure out why God ain't talking. And, and it ain't that God is mad. It's not that God's not talking. It's just that he's quiet right now. He's not like us that he's got to talk 24-7. So he's not upset. But sometimes when this happens, if we don't understand his silence and his reason then what will happen is we will take God's silence as God's anger. We will mistake his silence as judgment. Second, uh, Second Chronicles chapter 32, this happened to a king. It says from then on, I'm reading Second Chronicles chapter 32 verse 23. It says from then on, King Hezekiah became highly respected among all the surrounding nations. And many gifts for the Lord arrived at Jerusalem with valuable presents for King Hezekiah too. So verse 24 says, about that time, Hezekiah became deathly ill. He prayed to the Lord who healed him and gave him a miraculous sign. But Hezekiah did not respond appropriately to the kindness that was shown him. And he became proud. And that can happen too. God begins to bless you, and you think it's you blessing you. Amen. He begins to bless your business. He begins to bless the works of your hand. And if you don't watch it, you will arrogantly think that you're being blessed because of what you did, when really what you did was only a result of him giving you breath to do it. So then it says, but Hezekiah did not respond appropriately to the kindness shown him and he became proud. So the Lord's anger came against him and against Judah and Jerusalem. Then Hezekiah did what? Humbled himself and repented of his pride as did the people of Jerusalem. So the Lord's anger did not fall on them during Hezekiah's lifetime. Watch verse 27. Hezekiah was a very wealthy and highly honored person. He built special treasury buildings for his silver, his gold, his precious stones, his spices, and for his shields and all of his valuable items. This dude built a a, a, a safe, basically. To put all his stuff. Verse 28. And he also constructed many storehouses for his grain, his new wine, his olive oil. And he made many stalls for his cattle and pens for his flocks and sheep and goats. He built many towns and acquired vast flocks of herds. For God had given him great wealth. 
He blocked up the upper springs of Gion and brought the water down through a tunnel to, to the west side. Everybody say the west side. The west side of the city of David. And so he succeeded in everything he did. Watch verse 31. However, when ambassadors arrived from Babylon to ask about the remarkable events that had taken place in the land, watch this now, it says that God withdrew from Hezekiah in order to do what, church? That's that quiet period right there. That's that quiet period. And see, we know as new covenant believers that God made a deal with Jesus and said, Jesus, I want you to die for all the people's sin. And when you shed your blood, they will always have access to me. So we know through Jesus Christ, God will never leave us nor forsake us. That's what the scripture says, right? However, there are going to be times when he's quiet. And this is when our relationship with him, listen church, I'm talking to some people right now. Your relationship with him when God is quiet cannot be based on your feelings. It must be based on faith. And that's why the scripture says, for we walk by faith and not by what? Sight. And during these times of quietness, you have to ask yourself the question, Am I depending on his presence or am I depending on his promises? See, it's during the silence of God that the test is to press. Everybody say the test is to press. It's when you and I press to get closer even though you may not feel a thing. Amen. Listen, when I leave the house, it doesn't mean I have left first lady. My relationship with her is still intact. Even though we may not be physically together at the moment, we still have a relationship intact. And that's the attitude you have to have with God when he's quiet. Listen, your relationship with him hasn't changed. Say amen to that. And that's how it is sometimes with God. You and I, listen, during those times, we must become promise-driven, not presence-driven. Now, if you don't watch it, you'll become so presence-driven that when you don't feel his presence, now you walk around like there's a problem. But the only reason we can expect his presence is because his promises told us. See, see, the whole Bible is based on promises and it's not just based on presence, it's based on promise. Say amen to that. Amen. So when our walk with Christ, when we understand it's by faith and not by feelings, then watch this now. This is when obedience is more important than understanding. See, if you have a feeling-based relationship, then you'll be like King Saul. It was, it was, it was circumstantial obedience for him. Uh, God told him through Samuel, hey, go take that city, wipe everybody out. Wipe the king out, wipe the babies out, wipe the women out, wipe everything out. And you know what? When they got there, they wiped out everybody, but they kept the good stuff. They kept the nice lambs and the nice goats and the, and then he even saved the king. 
And so when he brought, when he came back from the slaughter, Samuel, uh, he looked at Samuel and says, I've obeyed the Lord. And Samuel said, well, what, what, what is those sheep that I'm hearing? He said, watch this now. Because he based his obedience on someone else's actions. Listen, when you stand before God in heaven, your husband or wife will not be there. Did you hear what I said? Oh, so you can blame them on what, you, you know, uh, they made me do it. He made me slap him. When you stand before God, he or she ain't going to be there. Amen. Which now leads us to the third point. The third point, because this is the one I'm going to kind of talk about here. And the third point is a past test will always result in being blessed. A past test. Everybody say a past test. A past test is a result of being blessed. And the last person that I want to talk about this morning and we're going to talk about him for the rest of the morning, is Abraham. So what I want to do is kind of summarize uh, the context so we can understand the point. Because, see, Abraham was approached by God, and this is in Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to read verse 1 through 4. It says the conversation, uh, it went kind of like this. Now, the Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country, leave your kindred, leave your father's house, Go to a land that I'm going to show you. And then he says, watch this, I will make of you a what kind of nation? A great nation. And then he says, and I will bless you. He says, I'm going to make your name great. And then he says, you're going to be a blessing. And then he says, and I will bless those that bless you. And I will curse those that curse you. And then he says, in you, Abraham, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So the Bible says Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. And Abraham, watch this, here's why I read that. He was 75 years old when God said this to him. So now I want to talk to the people in the room who feel like they're late bloomers. Or they feel like they're behind time. Or they feel like, uh, you know what, I should be further along in life than where I'm at. I'm talking to the people who who are comparing themselves with all of their friends and with all of their high school. You know, you went to a high school reunion and some people seem a lot further along in their career and their relationships than you. And so you left the high school reunion and you felt like, man, I, I, I'm, I'm not where I need to be. Or you may be in the room and you say, Pastor Evan, I'm not where I need to be because I haven't done this. I don't have this much money saved up. I haven't produced the business that I believe God wants me to have. Well, I mean, you can think like that all you want to. But, but, but my question to you is, who are you comparing all of these things to? The problem with a lot of people is, my late blooming is part of God's plan for my life. I can't explain why God chooses to, to hit some people early. I, I, I listen, I was five, five in the 10th grade. Megan, how tall are you? Five, five? Just five, zero. Oh, wow. Okay. I can't use her. 
Who in the room is five five? Five five exactly. If you're five five, okay, come here, young lady, right here. Come on, come on, come on. All right. Yes. So come on the stage. Come on the stage. Come on the stage. Come on. I should have had your husband escort you up here, but, but, but uh, now, now she's she got on heels, so she cheating already. Okay, so uh, if she took her heels off, now see how much taller I am over her? Now just imagine if her heels weren't on. Can you take one off? I hold, oh, see that? Wow, wow. Take them both off for a minute. Take them both off. Look at that. This is how tall I was in the 10th grade. Look at how tall I am now. I grew in college. Thank you. Give her a big hand clap. Give her a big hand clap. Give her a big hand clap. Yes. I grew in college. I was considered a late bloomer. Here's what's interesting though. The doctor, the pediatrician that we went to had prophetic insight because he would tell my, my parents, hey, he's going to go through spurt. He's going to go through spurt. He's going to go through spurt. I was like, well, what is spurt? <laughs> and when is it going to happen? So I might have graduated from high school, maybe five, eight. I might have grew three inches, but I don't think so. So I went from, let's say, five, eight to six, four. It was drastic. I would come home from from college and the light switches in the house at my parents' house would be lower. The toilet would be lower. My pants would be higher. Back in those days, we call it flooding. And then to complicate the matters, I was on drugs. They say we stop you from growing. Not necessarily true. <laughs> Not true. It makes you aware of your growing because uh, we would come home from the, you know, I'd be at the State Fair of Texas. And for the first time in my life, I'm looking over at most of the people's heads. I mean, when you're in a crowd of thousands of people, it's an interesting thing to be able to look over everybody's head. Can you imagine being able to do that? And be high at the same time. <laughs> I told my cousin, I say, cuz, cuz, I'm looking over everybody's head. He's like, cuz, you high, man, you high. <laughs> no, I was high. <laughs> What's my point? I'm a late bloomer. And when you accept that, see, here's the thing. When you are walking with God... He is not going to let you miss your destiny. So if you are walking with him right now, you are right where he wants you to be, in the place he wants you to be, with the person he wants you to be with, doing what you need to be doing. He's already calculated your life, and he says, I need them to be at this point in their life right now. Say amen. So Abraham was 75 years old 
and hadn't even had a kid yet. So watch this now. We see that God promised Abraham to bless him at 75 years old. And so if you're 75 years old or younger, you still have an opportunity to be blessed by God. And if you're 75 or older, God can still. The Bible says you will even bear fruit in your old age. So we can see, watch this now, some time went by before Abraham actually experienced the problem. In fact, Genesis chapter 21, verse 5, they're going to put it up there. It reveals, watch this, that 25 years went by before he actually received the promise that God made him. It says, and Abraham was how how old? A hundred years ago, oh, when Isaac, his son, was what? Born. And there are some tests that Abraham had to pass during that time. Sometimes the test you and I have to pass is the, the what I call the test of time. Amen. Here's a take-home statement that I want you to write down or I want you to think about. Sometimes it takes more faith to wait than it does to start. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes it takes more faith to wait than it does to start. Watch this now. Uh, here's a take-home thought. Everybody say, hmm. Here's a take-home thought. Anytime you choose not to wait, you will always make a mistake. Oh, I see this happen with people all the time. I can't tell you how many people have left this church in the name of we're going to start a church. And they started the church, right? And it did not, listen, I didn't feel it was time for them to start a church. But who am I? Who am I? Right? And I'm thinking, I get this. I understand this. And this one particular person, I'm thinking, no, don't do it. Don't do it. But they didn't listen. Right? Because here's the thing. There's a different level of grace to be a senior pastor than it is to just be a regular pastor. And so sometimes people don't know that. See, you can be anointed. I'm talking to somebody right now. Maybe they're in the camera right here. You can be called or anointed for something but not started two years later as David. He was anointed as a, as a shepherd boy to be the king of Israel, but he didn't start two years later. And this one particular person have come back to me since and said, Pastor Evan, I'm so sorry. I should have listened to you. Amen. Sometimes it takes more faith to wait than it does to start. That's why if you lonely, you're going to want to get married, have faith to wait. Abraham did. He, he, he didn't have faith to wait. And so one, remember I said, anytime you choose not to wait, you will always make a mistake. He did. It's called Isaac. I mean, Ishmael. He had an Ishmael. Look at your neighbor and say, do you have an Ishmael? So let me hurry up. New Living Translation of Genesis chapter 22. Let me hurry up. Uh, because I need to show you this principle about 
uh, about uh, the test that Abraham went through. It says sometimes later, God tested Abraham's faith. What did God do? He tested Abraham's faith. He says, Abraham, God called. He says, yes. He says, here am I. He says, I want you to take your son, your only son. Yes, Isaac, whom you love much. Wow, you mean the son that it took me 25 years to get? That son? Yes. And I want you to go to the land of Moriah. I want you to go. And I want you to sacrifice him as a burnt offering on the mountains, which I'm going to show you. What? We didn't hear no back talk from Abraham. What did he do? Well, the Bible says the next morning, Abraham got up and he got up early. He didn't negotiate with God. God's instructions does not need negotiations. He got up the next morning because he could have said, well, Lord, why don't you take Ishmael? Lord, let me have another one and we can burn him up. Because, see, people think it was just a, 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 a sacrifice. No, a burnt offering. That means you got to kill him and then you got to burn him up. The next morning, Abraham got up. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his servants with him along with his son, Isaac. He chopped some wood for the fire, for the burnt offering. And he set out for the place that God had told him about. And so on the third day, on the third day of his journey, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. He told, he said, stay here with the donkey, Abraham told his servants. The boy and I are going to travel a little farther and we will go to do what? Worship there. And so he, and then we will come right back. At least he had faith. He was like, look, we're going to worship and we coming back. That's faith talking right there. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulder because a lot of people think Isaac was a little old bitty boy. No, Isaac was big enough to carry wood. He put the wood on his shoulders while he carried the knife and the fire and the two of them walked together. And so Isaac turned to Abraham, his father, and says, Father, he says, yes, son, Abraham replied. He says, we have the fire and I see the wood, uh, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? And he says, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. And so they both walked together. And when they arrived at the place where God had told him, God, uh, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Watch this. Then he tied up his son Isaac and he laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. I don't hear Isaac saying anything. Verse 10. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called him from heaven. And he says, Abraham, Abraham. He says, yes. He says, here I am. Watch what he says. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for I know now. Or it says, for now I know that you truly fear God. See, God has to test us. So we can see what's in us. Amen. He says, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not held from me even your son, your only son. And I like the King James because the, that verse says, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And then the Bible says, then Abraham looked up and he saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. And let me just throw this in there. Provision always follows trust. 
So he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham named the place uh, Yahweh or Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. And to this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. Watch this church. This is what the Lord says. Because you have what? obeyed me and have not what withheld your your son your even your only son watch what he says i swear by my own name that i will certainly do what bless you because blessing comes with testing everybody say blessing comes with 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 with, with uh yeah you go yes y'all listening y'all listening because i'm on my next point in my head here we go Here's what's interesting is you have to ask yourself, what is your faith test right now? What you in the middle of being tested as? Is your attitude right now being tested? Amen. Maybe you're a test. Maybe you're in the waiting test. Maybe you're in the spiritual waiting room waiting on God to do something for you. It, listen, you can look, you can get up and go ask the front desk every five minutes. Hey, are you ready for me yet? And they said, no, 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 we're not ready. Well, you can keep asking God when uh, am I ready? Am I ready? Maybe you're in the waiting room. Maybe your test is an obedient test. What is God trying to get you to do that you're not doing right now? What is God trying to get you to do that you don't want to do? Well, let me say this, your blessings are on the other side of your obedience. Maybe you are experiencing the forgiveness test. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's the money test. My question is, what's your test today? Because, see, if you don't identify the test, you can't pass it. And maybe you haven't figured it out yet. Maybe, maybe this is a, 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 a prerequisite. Maybe, maybe your test gonna start when you get in the car. Cause you might get a phone call from your boss for the 25th time asking you to come in on a Sunday. Your test is, are you gonna cuss them out like you did last time? So, how do we apply this? Because I, I strongly believe that this is a season of testing, but the focus is not just the test. The focus is the blessing that God's trying to get to us. So here's the first thing. You got to identify what test you are in the middle of. Number two, you must ask yourself, what is the biggest obstacle that's keeping me from potentially not passing this test? Number three, you need to ask yourself the question, do I value the promise over obeying the promise giver? In other words, do I value so much uh, what I want to do over what God wants me to do? Here's the last one. Obey God's instructions for the test because if you don't do that, you're going to take the test again. And that's what happened to Jonah. The assignment that God gave Jonah, God did not keep Jonah from doing the assignment just because Jonah didn't want to do it. What's your test today? I believe there are a lot of people 
Your test is in your attitude. How has your attitude been lately? Has it been funky? Look at your neighbor and say, has it been funky? Come on, look at him and ask him. Has it been funky? Now look at him and say, woo, yes it has. God is testing you. Listen, it's not the circumstances that you're dealing with that's the test. No, no, no. That's just the, the, that's the symptom. Those are the repercussions of the test. The real test, God is trying to check you so you can see if your heart is straight. I want to challenge you today to get your heart right. Because if you don't, whatever blessings that God has in mind, because he's really, he's really expecting you and I to pass. But if not, he's just going to rearrange another test for you to take again. So with every head bowed, every eye closed. Holy Spirit. There are lots of us in this room that are going through a test. And many of them, the test is, 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 is disguised as a frustration. It's disguised as a situation. It's disguised as a pain. It's, it's disguised so they don't even know that it's a test. But it's a test because it's challenging them on whether they're going to obey your word and deal with it that way or are they going to deal with it in the flesh. That's how you can know if it's a test or not because it's challenging you to respond either with God's word or with how you feel. And so, Lord, I, I pray today that every person who's in the middle of a test or who's about to enter into a test that we will let this word be a reminder. Because sometimes we think it's the devil testing us. When it's really you. And you're doing it. So that we can see. Where our hearts are. And some of us have flunked some tests recently. And if you know you've flunked some tests recently, here's what I want you to do right now. In the middle of this prayer, I want you to repent. Just say, Lord, you know, I messed that up. I didn't do that right. I didn't, I didn't respond right. I didn't act right. I didn't do right. I didn't respond right. And so, Lord, I, I ask you to forgive me for that because that was a test that I didn't pass. And there's some people here, this is prophetically now. You have spiritually become the prodigal son. What do you mean by that, Pastor Evan? 
It wasn't until things got worse and worse and worse that the prodigal son finally came to himself. And that's where you are. Things are bad. They're bad. They just... They've gone from one thing. It's almost like a, a snowball. It's almost like you take one step forward, you take ten backwards. You, you, you're in the middle of this cycle and you, you don't even know what to do. It's like, man, what, you are flunking the test. And what made the prodigal son come to himself was a bad situation. And there are some people who are in some bad situations. And God is trying to use that situation to get you to get right. Because it wasn't until after that, the Bible says, the prodigal son, he said, you know what? I've sinned against God. This is called repentance. I've sinned against God. I even sinned against my father. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back home and I'm going to tell my father I'm sorry. And I'm going to ask him to let me work for him. What made that young man get to that point? A difficult time. Why do you think Jonah got swallowed by the whale? Because Jonah was running from God. He wouldn't do what God wanted him to do. And there are some people in this room that are, and are watching me. You are in some bad situations because you're not doing what God wants you to do. He wants you to obey him. This is your day. Golly. This is your day. This is your day right here. The storm can stop. And here's what's bad. Some of you all storms are affecting people close to you. Because Jonah, that storm on that boat affected all the people that was in that boat. And some of you, where you are, your choices are making now difficulty in other people's life. But you know what? You can stop the storm today if you will just surrender and say, okay, God, I give up. I give up. I give up. Jesus, I give up. I give up. I give up on my way. I give up on what I want to do. I give up, Lord. I give up. I want to come in agreement with that group right there. I'm going to talk about getting saved in a minute, but there's a group that needs to give up and say, okay, God, I'm tired of going through this cycle. I'm tired of going through this storm. I'm tired of now uh, going through this mess and I'm surrendering. If that's you, raise your hand right there at your seat. Say, Pastor Evan, that's me. I'm in a storm. I've been in a storm. That storm seems like a cycle. It seems like it won't stop. And, and just raise your hand, raise, raise your hand, right? Raise your hand. Oh, oh, we got lots of people in a storm today. You know what? I feel led today to get in agreement with you for this storm to stop. And if you have enough boldness with no judgment, because I've been in storms too. Some storms come from the enemy, but some of this storm that y'all, y'all, these are self-inflicted storms. I want to pray for you. I just want to lay my hands on you. If you'd like, if you have your hands up and you'd like to come down here, I want you to come. Only the people that raised their hand now, nobody else. If you raise your hand and you want me to pray for you, come right down here. Come right down here. Come right down here. Come right down here. 
Come right down here. Come right down here. This storm is going to stop today. It's going to stop today. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to lead you in a prayer and then I'm going to pray for you. Are you ready to give up? Are you ready to surrender? I said, are you ready to surrender? Hold your hands up at the altar right there. I want you to repeat after me. Say, Lord, today I surrender in the name of Jesus. I give up and I give in. You have me, Lord. So today... As I surrender, like Jonah did, the fish spit him out. And I command in Jesus' name, every circumstance that's like a fish to spit me out. And Lord, I surrender, I give up, and today I speak peace into my life. I speak peace into my life. In Jesus' name, amen. And Father, I thank you for those who are here today that need somebody to agree that this storm will stop. And so as I touch them, I command the storm to cease in the name of Jesus. In fact, once I I, I lay hands on you, you can go to your seat. In the name of Jesus, I command this storm to stop. I command this storm to stop in the name of Jesus. Stop resisting him because the plans that God has for you is good. It's not evil. It's plans to give you an expected end. I command the storm to stop in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And some of you all, for the storm to stop, you got to let your pride down. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, I curse pride. And I say, pride, you cannot stay. Your word says, when we humble ourselves before you, you will lift us up. So I speak humility to every person who I'm touching right now in the name of Jesus. Those, Father, who have the cycle is over. The cycle is over.